Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast with me, Monty Walden, and this podcast is the second part of my interview with Paolo De Marchi of Isole Eolena in Chianti Classico. So Isole Eolena is in Castellina in Chianti, in the western part of Chianti Classico. What's different about the western part of Chianti Classico? First of all, uh, thank you, because I, I believe that it is in the area of Castellina. It's a geological, uh, it belongs to the, to the platform of the high part of Castellina in Chianti. We are in the commune of Barberino Valdelsa. Not, there's nothing wrong with Barberino Valdelsa. I'm a little worried uh, with uh, all the discussions about uh, the village appellations in the south zones, because uh, Villages in Chianti do not reflect uh, anything uh, which is connected with specific soil uh, situation. They're political um, uh, divisions uh, rather political than division. terroir-driven uh, yes, divisions, yeah. okay. And I know it would be clear, it would be easy to understand, uh, but uh, anyhow, we are in, the, in that part of the western slope of Chianti. The hills of Chianti are the highest, uh, the high part of the western slope is the one which still gets uh, influence from the Mediterranean. So are you talking about rain or wind or cool uh, breezes? It is more breezes and uh, it is uh, a little milder, which means uh, milder in winter time. So a little warmer winter and cooler summer, unless uh, hot wind from the sea. Sometimes we have, so we have to be careful in pulling out the leaves uh, end of August because uh, sometimes I, because of experience, I know that we could have some strong wind from the sea, which could uh, and it is even it could be salty. So dehydration and sunburn at the end of the summer sometimes might happen because that wind wind might become a problem. But usually a longer growing season because the bud breaking is a little earlier and we tend to harvest late. Is that what your family wanted when they came from Piemonte to, uh, to buy here? No, no. It would be again a wrong interpretation of history. At that time, people couldn't really choose uh, the place because of knowledge or experience. My father knew the old owners; they wanted to sell. In the family, we had a small vineyard in the north of Piedmont, which had been abandoned after World War II. It was all run on sharecropping. Was not a business. Uh, was uh, something which was running on its own. The events. Uh, determined what we did. <laughs> okay. Your benchmark wine for most people is your Chianti Classico Normale. What makes a good Chianti Classico for you? Chianti Vintage is a wonderful wine because it's a wine, sometimes I call it the greatest table wine, not thinking again of the legal uh, appellation, but the table wine. Wine for the table. Wine to be on the table, to share with friends and with good food. The way I would describe my effort in making wine is is always the same word is balance. Chianti has a lively acidity, we have to work around that. And uh, purity of fruit, I think uh, my vintage Chianti is known for the freshness and the purity of fruit. The balance, uh, the tannins, we should not be harsh. So we tend to harvest as late as possible to get uh, the acidity in balance with tannins which are not too green. The length, uh, length comes uh, with lower yields. Uh, so length meaning a wine with a nice, leaves a nice long aftertaste in the mouth. Yes. How are you changing things in the vineyard to maintain those Chianti Classicos with lovely freshness? We do a lot of work uh, with, with the green uh, work. Uh, the with the leaves sh- and the leaves, shoots? Uh, shoots. Uh, do you leave, are you leaving your vines a little bit more sort of hedge-like, a bit more shady now? Yes, uh, but uh, what is uh, very important in my opinion uh, is uh, to understand uh, the age of the leaves. 
old leaves and young leaves because uh, what old leaves produce is different than what young leaves produce. Young leaves have a much more efficient photosynthesis, which means sugar, but uh, as long as the leaves are growing, they produce a lot of sugar, but they need what they produce. Actually, they, they need more than what they produce, so they are our allied in uh, keeping the sugar a little lower. As soon as they get to full size, uh, the balance is completely into a lot of sugar available for the vines. The acidity tannins have to do with the old and young leaves, so we, we put a lot of attention in that. So you're taking the older leaves away? No, older leaves tend to have. We take away the young leaves from the laterals, which we expect to get to full size three or four weeks before the harvest, because those will be the killer for the balance of the wine. The young leaves, which will still be growing in the last month, they actually help us. They keep the shade and they use the excess of sugar, which is available in the vine. That's an awful lot of extra work you're giving yourself. It is, it is. But, you know, often the best vineyards are becoming the ones who are also ready to produce higher sugar. So it's very hard to see that in the best vineyards it is, it is becoming difficult to have balance. So at least in those vineyards, we are extremely careful in, in the managing the canopy and the, the leaf and the, canopy and the leaves. The sunlight is life. Direct sunlight is bad if we keep it shaded and then we pull out the leaves and all of a sudden it gets too much. But if there is a right, when you see and not see, the right amount of leaves to keep the shade without the really covering since the beginning, that, that's the important. So, so when we pull the laterals, we normally pull the laterals on, on the side of the morning. Temperature so is low and the light is very beautiful. So what, what you mean there is the side shoots uh, on the side of the vine that's exposed to the morning sun. So that's the cooler side of the vine. That's the cooler. And, but we want uh, covered uh, the side of the vines which get uh, the, afternoon the light. Uh, it is hotter and it is a different kind of light. Uh, so it's the one which is, uh, has to be kept out. So on one side of the vine you want grapes that are ripe and they're getting the morning sun. On the other side of the vine you want grapes that are ripe but not overripe, which not could over-ripe. get sunburnt by yes. the hotter afternoon yeah. sun. And uh, by the way, considering where we are, it is also the side which gets the wind from the, from the sea. So, it's, so those leaves are protecting from those sea breezes. From the breezes. So you, are you good at gardening, vegetable gardening? You're very precise, aren't you? <laughs> I have no time for the gardening because we are farming our best vineyards like a garden. So. <laughs> I love the idea that you've got Isola Eolena being a vine garden and your wine being as, as food almost that goes on the table. You're meticulous in what you do. Well, you have a tremendous amount of knowledge and you share it beautifully and your family has a fantastic history and you make an absolute benchmark, uh, Chianti Classico. Thank Real you. credit to your region and to Italian wine in general. If I may add two little things. So I start feeling that... Uh, it is the end of a cycle and they call the, uh, this cycle is the end of sharecropping times. We cannot think that in five years the sharecropping finished. It was a long time to adapt to the new situation. To adjust. Yeah. Uh, to adjust. And now my new project is uh, what I call uh, the end of the end of the sharecropping. This trouble is over. The estate has a balance. I'm going back to what made sharecropping beautiful, the ability to produce food, and in producing food, building a beautiful landscape. So I started to produce again wheat. The University of Florence is working on all varieties of wheat. Since September last year, we don't buy bread at home. When you harvest wheat, uh, the feeling is is, is pristine. I saw the first 
to eat and the first reaction was we have food for next year and we forget about these feelings I'm planting uh, fruits uh, we have the olive orchards and we have missing olives and I always thought when I finish with the vineyards I will look at the olives and plant uh, the missing plants apricots plums figs almonds I want to retain memory of something which was uh, what has built uh, the beauty of Chianti. The beauty of Chianti is nature, but is nature where the work of man has built something. And uh, we have been very close to make a disaster. Part of it has been done. It's still a beautiful area, but we have to go back to it and think with a little sense. The second thing is, uh, in my personal history, has always been my dream to replant in Piedmont. And now the beauty, because I'm replanting it, with my son. My son got really taken by that project, so he's building on his own a little project, which was my dream, but he's doing it. Different problems, different history, but again, something to rediscover in Northern Piedmont. So, Do you think having a vineyard which is like a farm, like it, how it used to be, is going to be more attractive to younger people who are unemployed in the cities and eating unhealthily, perhaps? And I not absolutely any- think that it will be very attractive. I think is the key. Uh, of course, uh, these are uh, wine estate. Wine needs to be sold, uh, so there, there will be a lot of work around wine, about sales, about traveling, about uh, being on the market. But we should uh, be very aware of uh, what uh, makes uh, the place uh, special. Because uh, the risk uh, of passing the border, a serious border between uh, wine of origin, again, which is not an appellation, and wine uh, which is a uh, food technology is a risk. There are wines uh, which have an appellation and are food technology, deciding a priori how the wine has to be. The beauty of wine, you have uh, different vintages, different winemakers, but the great wines which come from a specific place, they have something which makes a good taste, a remind of the place, even in vintages where the wine express in a completely different way. What has happened in Chianti with the French variety, let us call had a strong reason in the problems we had with the new vineyards. So I'm not uh, yes or no. It was useful. It was useful because uh, we could not replant the vineyards because we had to do a lot of work and the work which has to be done cannot be done overnight. So you're saying that these French varieties, when they came in in the 70s, were, were sort of almost helping the Sangiovese, these young vine Sangioveses, um, to give them a bit more structure, a bit more color, make them a little bit softer. And now that these Sangiovese vineyards have grown and we've got more experience, we can gradually phase out or minimize at least Absolutely. the Merlots and the Cabernets. From- Absolutely. And now we have Canaiola. I'm working on Canaiola. What I did for Sangiovese, I'm working on Canaiola. It's a beautiful variety and I see a lot of potential in improving Canaiola and would be the natural blend. Because I'm known for the men of Sangiovese, I'm known for Ceparello. Your most famous wine. It's the most famous wine, but... Uh, Ceparello, when I started to make a pure Sangiovese, I had no idea I would have bottled it. It was really the need at that time in vineyards which were kind of a mess to understand the potential of, uh, of the vineyards and the variety. But apart from Cannaiolo Nero, what else do you think you'd blend Sangiovese with? Malvasia Nera? Nera is... Uh, <laughs> there's a big question mark for me, Malvasia Nera, because uh, Malvasia Nera is not a variety which is indigenous. So how back should we go to say that it is indigenous? Colorino? Colorino, I'm not so fond of Colorino. Foglio tonda? Uh, maybe. Probably. A little bit of everything, why not? But have to be good. We have to work on that, not just plant because this is sounds 
sounds good because the name is unusual and it sounds good to say that it is indigenous. Some of these varieties are indigenous, have been abandoned for some reason. It's too radical again. You know, sometimes we go all the way one direction and the reaction we go all the way the other direction. And you want to be in the middle? Not in the middle. I want to understand why we do things. Often people have, like, have tasting and people always ask, how do you make the wine? How much New York or what is that? And once uh, in the tasting, my, my, my reaction was, uh, that's enough. Why do you ask me how I make the wine? And why don't you ask me why I make wine? So what is behind uh, my brain? So wine is uh, a wonderful uh, craft of man. Paolo DeMarchi, thank you very much for coming in to the Italian Wine Podcast. Uh, we have a lot in common, you and me, and uh, always a pleasure to see you and uh, to hear your wisdom, not just about what's going on today, but about why you're doing things, looking backwards in terms of history and looking forward to the future with your family. A real pleasure. And I hope to come and see you very, very soon and taste some of those apricots. We all have to visit. It's, uh, it's, it's always great. <laughs> thank you. Thank Thanks, Paolo. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. That's it. Follow Italian Wine Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.